Welcome back to Fan Drive Time. One more hour left in our week. I'm Blake Murphy. Shy Davidi beside me for one more hour. Uh, almost at the end of your your uh, what, what do we what do we call it? Your call up. You were you were fancying yourself a Trent Thornton earlier today, uh, coming up and down from. I mean, tre- I'd like to think I'm a little up the food chain. <laughs> I mean, you didn't get non-tendered. It's true. I did not get non-tendered. I did not get a million dollars in arbitration either, but you certainly did not. Uh, but I've, uh, yeah, uh, roster fill in, and uh, I'll be optioned back to uh, Sportsnet.ca and uh, the TV broadcast after today's game. But uh, actually, now that you frame it like that, I kind of think this is AAA for you. You're going back to, you know, Baseball Insider at .ca and doing your TV hits. You're off to Florida sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I think. Slumming it with me and Ben is AAA for you. I, it's definitely not slumming it. I wouldn't call this AAA. Maybe this is like my world baseball classic. Sure. My, uh, my little sojourn off to something connected to, uh, to, the re- to your regular job, but not exactly part of it. I like that. That, that works for me. Um, world baseball classic. Uh, Mike Soroka probably won't be pitching in it. We're going to talk to him in a couple minutes here, though. See where he's at on his way back from Achilles and elbow injuries and what the season looks like for him and the Atlanta Braves in a wild NL East. Before we talk to him, though, Shai, today was kind of transaction flurry day around baseball. Uh, today being the day that teams have to file their arbitration number, teams and players file their arbitration numbers. And what we see is in the, as the result of that or to avoid that process, uh, there are a whole bunch of deals done. The Toronto Blue Jays agreed to terms uh, on one-year deals with nine of their 12 arbitration eligible players uh, ranging from four and a half million and change for Jordan Romano to a flat 1 million for Trent Thornton, uh, nine guys totaling about 23.7 million, nothing out of the ordinary uh, at all there. In fact, it's within half a million of MLB trade rumors, uh, our projections as a total. I'll tell you what, I had a very interesting conversation with an agent at the winter meetings who is very was very frustrated that these uh, public projection of arbitration salaries come out because what's happened is they've sort of turned into a bit of a measuring stick. And oh, then, for how an agent does or how a team does? Right, and raise, either raises or lowers a, a player's expectations. And then, you know, players are saying, oh, why did I, I, I'm publicly projected to get this? Why did I only get this? Or maybe somebody's feeling unnecessarily excited because he beat the projection Hmm. and really it's it's all just guesswork right and you're trying to arrive at a number and the two sides are working together and the arbitration process is designed to force teams and players into making a deal because once you get into an arbitration hearing it's not a process where you you can land in the middle the Both arbit- sides lose control. Right? The, exactly. The arbitrator picks either one number or the other. So you have to try to get as accurate a number as possible uh, or and be able to defend that successfully. And so, you, you know, the, the fact that there are these projections that are out there that may skew expectations sometimes and, you know, it's, it's become a bit of a, a sore point for some because it, it creates 
a, a new dynamic that didn't exist a couple of years ago. I'll tell you what, Matt Swartz, who does those at MLB Trade Rumors, he's, and, a, he's a, an economist, and I used to write with him back at Beyond the Box Score. Does a great job, should be said. Does a great job. But if uh, that agent wants uh, his location, his contact info, you, you slide that agent my number. I'll, I'll turn on Matt Swartz in a second. Uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, I actually I took I tried my hand at doing my own arb projections this year. Uh, Matt's weren't out quite in a timely enough fashion for me. They came out actually later the day that I made my own. So I felt really silly for doing them. Um, but I wasn't too far off. The, I, I seem to, with position players and starters, have been like on the right track. And then something was off with how I was trying to project the relievers. I wasn't that close with the relievers. So the the four and a half and change for Jordan Romano and 3.15 for Adam Simber, I would have been pretty off on the rest of them right in line. Yeah, the the Pat system is, on the back. You should, and because I mean, it's really just about finding matches mm-hmm. and being able to to justify it, not just based on one season, but also on cumulative totals and years of service and and all those different elements. And you know, sometimes wonky stuff does happen, but relievers typically get screwed a little bit, unless you're a closer mm-hmm. or unless you have vultured a bunch of wins. Adam Simber. Adam Simber. Uh, you know, Adam Adam Simber didn't vulture a bunch of wins. Actually, he That's had a, he had a lot of he came into a lot of games and kept it right there, and then uh, saved the offense and gave the offense an opportunity to come back for him. Uh, so, you know, let's be fair about that description. It's not like he's coming in uh, getting one out for a starter who went four and two thirds innings, and then suddenly finding himself with a fortuitous W. And hey, look, if you're a reliever in the modern day and you get to ten wins. You're doing something right because that just doesn't happen anymore. Exactly. Um, he's also he's a guy too that this isn't his first time through arbitration. He's got back to back seventy plus inning seasons with a sub three ERA. Like whether you believe in that lasting without the ability to miss bats, kind of just not walking guys and getting a lot of ground balls, that's up to you. But the numbers certainly say, hey, Adam Simber's been been pretty darn good, and you should pay him three million dollars and change. So of the nine names that got done not among them Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Boba Shett. Eric Swanson's the other one we're still waiting on um, but obviously everyone is curious about Vlad and Bo this is Vlad's second time through arbitration because he had the early access to arbitration last year it's Bo's first time through what is the status of, of those two if not with you know coming up with something today then you know what what are we taking from the fact that one-year deals didn't get done for those two yet, whereas they're done for just about everyone else. Yeah, well, you know, as of right now, I don't think either one is necessarily imminent, but they there, there's no firm deadline today. Mm-hmm. It's just like you have to get it done today. Yeah. And January 30th is when arbitration hearings would begin, so that's kind of the next soft deadline. Right, but usually there's a time, a specific time, and you know, baseball, the baseball industry knows nothing more than playing things out to the very end. Now, if a deal doesn't get done, the Blue Jays are what's known in the industry as a file and trial team. That means that if you exchange numbers, you're going to a hearing for a one-year deal. At that point, you can certainly negotiate a multi-year deal. Teams typically would do that. But if you don't agree... On the one-year deal, then you know it's demonstra- it's demonstrative of a lack of agreement on a value and a lack of alignment on where you are, and you know for both for for both player and team, 
Every dollar matters, especially when you're a player like Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Because your salary platforms off the previous year's number. So the more you make in a given year, the bigger the increase will be, assuming you continue to perform in the year that follows. Because arbitration does not allow for declining salaries. We'll, we'll talk to Mike Soroka shortly, and he earned $2.8 million through the arbitration process once. And then even though he has been injured and not pitching, $2.8 million continues to roll over as his... Or sorry, I shouldn't say he earned that through arbitration. I believe they just came to terms on that deal. But that carries forward then as your, as your floor, as your, as your quote. Well, I mean, but the team can also walk away for it, right? A, a player in the arbitration years, it's essentially a series of one-year options because mm-hmm. the team can at any point just walk away. There's nothing guaranteed. Probably but, not much chance that they walk away from Vlad Bo or Eric Swanson. Yeah, or or, or even a Mike Soroka, right? <laughs> so uh, those play, those types of players are getting back. But, you know, every little bit for those guys matters. Um as they try to drive their their salaries up, and the more that they, the more that they can earn right now, like there is there is ample reason for them to fight over every dollar. So if they think the Blue Jays number is light, and they believe or have conviction in the number that they're throwing out there, then you know that they're you have to be willing to test that in an arbitration hearing. Same for same thing for the team, and it's not ideal. The Blue Jays believe the last time they went to arbitration it was with um, Marcus Stroman and Roberto Suna in 2018 uh, I believe that's the last time they went to a hearing I should uh, I should probably know that but a lot of information has come Sounds into like my brain be writing it writing about it soon so you can <laughs> double check um, so I guess uh, the Raphael Devers example should maybe remind people that uh, any like none of this can't be moved on from or recovered. Like Raphael Devers works out a one-year deal with the Red Sox. Everyone kind of thinks, oh no, this might this means a long-term deal is off the table because they worked out a one-year deal. Well, they turned around and as it were, they had just worked out the one-year deal so that that was there just in case. Then they worked out a long-term deal on top of that. Um, if you're a Blue Jays fan and you're looking at these spreadsheets that that I'm replying in Ben Nicholson Smith mentions all day as I'm trolling him half the day, uh, and you are seeing the big empty spot next to Vlad and Bo, um, would your confidence level about long-term deals for either of these guys change at all? Or is this too far away and too complicated a, a situation to you know stress about what's going to happen two, three years from now? Well, I don't think it's too early to stress about two, three years from now, because, I mean, this is going to turn into a long discussion at the risk of going that. I mean, you look at the at the Blue Jays farm system and where is the next wave of position player prospects? And Spencer Horwitz, buddy. Well, you know, I mean, but by and large, you look at the, the, the players that they have on that roster, it's four years of control max. Mm-hmm. And so, you know the the pitching appears to be in good shape from a con, uh, club control perspective, a years of club control perspective. But there's a bit more of a harder stop, and uh, from the position players, so you're going to want to get a longer term deal done with them at some point. You certainly are, um, and you know we're going to pivot now uh, because our guest is on the line. We'll come back. We'll continue to keep an eye on uh, any other Blue Jays arb numbers that come down again. Vlad Bo. Eric Swanson, we're still waiting on uh, to see if a one-year deal gets done to avoid the ARB process or if they'll be, as Shai called it, file and trial. Um, 
I don't have a good segue. This is, I think, the first time we've been on Shia, and I and I didn't have a good one. Uh, it's hard to segue from arbitration numbers to a former All-Star, second and Rookie of the Year voting in 2019, sixth in Cy Young voting, winner of the Tip O'Neill Award. Uh, joining us now, Atlanta Braves pitcher Mike Soroka. Mike, how are you, man? I'm good, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, Mike, I guess before we get into any of the specific stuff, the thing every Canadian baseball fan is is probably wondering is, where are you right now in terms of uh, your path back, not only from the Achilles injury, but the the elbow soreness that kind of shut you down in September? Um, how are you feeling? Where are you at? I feel great. I, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to kind of finally have this off season, and that was uh, the main decision last year in shutting it down and, and just kind of realizing we were probably just running a little thin insofar as what was left to give at the end of last year. Um you know, after two, two, three pretty long years um, of basically battling back from a couple surgeries, uh, a couple of big injuries, it, it kind of just took this, took its toll on me. And I think we all just decided that the the best thing I needed was an off season, and and that's what I've done. And um, you know, it's been great to be able to go back to training like an athlete uh, for the first time in two, three years, throwing, uh, being able to work on little things, you know, and and work on the things that are going to keep my ankle healthy and then kind of moved on up the chain towards shoulder elbow. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited with where I'm at. I've, I've had a great time, uh, working again with Chris Reedsma back home in Calgary at a beautiful new facility, uh, the Weber Wildcats built. Um, it's, uh, it's been pretty great. So, uh, pretty thankful to have all that to be able to go spend some time at, at home in Calgary and always, uh, I'll always be Canadian and, uh, kind of always gravitates coming home in the off season. So it's nice. Mike, how, how close to normal has this off season been for you? Like, is this what all things being equal, like what you would have been doing if you'd carried a normal load last off season? Was this, uh, as opposed to worrying about, you know, rehabilitation and recovery, just more sort of about maintenance and actually just preparing for a season. Yeah. Preparing, right. Like just not even not, it's about building back what, you know, was missing when, when you're rehabbing, especially something that's, you know, as, as basically life consuming as an Achilles, to be honest with you, it, it, it leaves the work pretty, pretty thin as to what you can kind of, you know, do also. So if on a regular day, if I had to do everything between ankle rehab and lifting and throwing, uh, after, after a little while, you know, you're, you're going to make concessions somewhere. Uh, and you can't do that with an Achilles. It kind of needs to take take all your time and all your effort. And um, that's why this off season, finally being able to just put that in the rearview mirror and focus on being an athlete again and, and addressing some things within mechanics, um, you know, shoulder health and everything like that that now I can pay attention to again. And, um, you know, where I'm at now is, is an exciting place. And, um, you know, I've got about a month left of work to do before – we sail off to uh, spring training, and uh, it's an exciting time. You know, part of that uh, month left uh, before sailing off to the spring is coming back to Toronto for the Baseball Canada Awards Banquet, and the first time that's taking place he, uh, it, since the before time, since uh, since the pandemic. Uh, what have you missed about uh, gathering with uh, your fellow Canadian players in this environment, and uh, what, what are you looking forward to most this weekend? 
uh, I mean, you said it right there, is, is kind of getting back together with all, uh, all the, the whole crew. I mean, this entire organization is just so tight-knit. Um, you know, since my junior days, I, in 2013, I haven't missed one when they had it, obviously. Like you said, there's been a couple of years since then. But, um, no, it, it's just an awesome thing to be able to do and, and be a part of. Um, you know, Canadian baseball is, a, is something that I'm always going to hold pretty dear. And, and playing for Canada one day is going to be um, one of the highlights of my career. Uh, unfortunately, you know, this year just won't quite be able to happen, um, you know, with having to go battle for a spot again in spring training and, you know, give myself the best chance possible of getting back on track with, with my career. But, um, you know, I, I like to support in any way I can. And, uh, you know, Greg has worked so, so hard, Greg Hamilton, that is, and he's worked so, so hard over the last few years with, you know, a multitude of challenges to be able to keep this program up and going. Um, the way it has been, and you know, we're looking to to build uh, the next kind of wave. I think, you know, I was very fortunate to kind of come into a program and then with the senior program with the guys that had been together for so long. Um, you know, guys Andrew Albers, Jeff Francis, uh, Chris Reitzma obviously was a big part of that uh, at, at that point too, and um, some guys that you know, I got to know over the few years and not even playing with them just because this is, this is a family. So uh, it's exciting and uh, looking forward to, to trying to breed the, uh, the next wave also. It's interesting that you mentioned breeding that next wave. I remember having a conversation with Cal Quantrill uh, in the summer and him talking about just the, the population of young Canadian players in the majors right now and just coming uh, about to graduate and how you really wanted to start building out that group, you know, with Tyler O'Neill and Josh Naylor and Bo Naylor and uh, Nick Pavetta, Rowan Wick, there's so, uh, so many others. Uh, as you're kind of like looking at, at this generation and, you know, you're, as you mentioned, you're going to miss this World Baseball Classic, but it sounds like the next one's going to be 2026. Uh, where do you see the upside for this group? What, 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 how would you describe the potential for, for this generation? It's huge, and uh, you know, you know firsthand when uh, the Blue Jays are good, baseball booms in Canada. It's, it's how it is. Um, you know, Canada's primarily, obviously, a hockey country, and uh, now you're starting to see flourishings of soccer and and even baseball, and that's large part to do with the the Blue Jays. They do a great job with uh, the outreach across the entire country, um, and you know, they were really good in. I guess it would have been uh, 2014, 15, uh, right when I got drafted. And, um, you know, I'm already seeing that chunk of wave in high school has, has come up. Um, so I heard you guys talking right now, and I do think the Blue Jays have a great opportunity to be a really, really good team for a long time. And um, that means really good things for the future wave of, of Canadian baseball players as well. So, um, you know, those are the big things. And, again, just showing – Showing people that we are out there, you know, I get asked all the time, does, you know, there's got to be only a couple of you in, in Major League Baseball, and you kind of start naming off some guys, and obviously, like, the Naylor brothers, and Cal, and Nick, and, and Rowan, and, and these are names that people are starting to understand, and, and, you know, see on the TV, you know, they saw, they saw Josh in the playoffs last year, uh, hitting home runs, and, <laughs> uh, doing his antics around the bases, but, uh, <laughs> You know, when, when people find out they're Canadian, it's kind of nice to know that, oh, you know, we, we can play baseball. And, um, 
you know, nothing, no better way than to, to show that at the WBC. But um, like I said, it's, it's always a trick kind of getting all of us there at once. But um, that's uh, a goal for the future for sure. Going to age myself here, Mike. I know you were only like 12 at the time, but the 2009 World Baseball Classic Canada-U.S. game at Rogers Center, one of my all-time favorite baseball games that I've been at, probably put it right behind the Edwin wildcard game as you know the, the second best. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm very excited for uh, this year's World Baseball Classic, for future World Baseball Classics that will hopefully include you. Um, you mentioned that the Blue Jay, you think the Blue Jays could have uh, – good years ahead. Um, obviously, you've been paying attention to the offseason moves around. I, I want to make it a little closer to home for you. You sitting back as an Atlanta Braves player, watching everything that happened in the National League East this offseason, right up to the Carlos Correa saga. Um, what What's that been like for you to see the Mets and, and the Phillies and you guys kind of jockeying for position in such a wild offseason? It's fun. I mean, it's, it's competition best right that's that's why we play this game uh in the first place and um you know it's it's the reason is is because you know we've been we've been the team to beat for you know a few years now and and, you know a few years in a row it's it's been all about the Mets in the offseason and rightfully so they've they've gone out and they've made improvements and uh you know it's shown and last year was what by about a game but a game difference and um you know, I think competition is, is exactly what this game needs and any way we can do that, um, I'm all for it. So I think I can speak for all of us on our on our team and that, you know, we, we want all those other teams to make those moves because we want the challenge. Um, we want to be out there at our best and uh, we know we're going to be at our best when we're playing the best. So, um, you know, it's, it's exciting and uh, it's exciting to be in a division like that also. One of the interesting moves that uh, Atlanta made this offseason was the acquisition of Sean Murphy. And you guys already were in a pretty good spot from a catching perspective with Travis Darnot and William Contreras and, and Manny Pena. Uh, and now you've got one of the most elite duos in baseball with, uh, with Murphy and, and Darnot. I'm just wondering for you, uh, have you had much contact with, with Murphy and, and how do you like to build a, a relationship with a, a new catcher? Yeah, I think just, just being with them, we spend, we spend the most time with catchers, obviously out of the, out of all the position players and, you know, gotten to know Travis quite well over the last couple of years. And especially, you know, we were, there was a small time in rehab together when we, he was kind of healing a, a, a thumb injury and, um, it's, it's spending the time together and talking about those kinds of things. And, um, you know, where Travis has gone with his, his catching game in the last three years has been amazing to watch. And uh, we're really excited to bring Sean in. Um, we've heard nothing but good things. And although I've not talked to him yet, I know he's excited to see all of us. Uh, and I know he's excited to kind of bring his, his own expertise to the table. Um, you know, from what I've heard, he's, he's ready to learn. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just exciting to have, Two, two guys that really, really care about the catching aspect of the game, you know. Um, uh, guys like them aren't as common to come by anymore, and, uh, you know, it's always nice to know that you're not out there alone. So uh, we're excited to see him too. Mike, we're excited to see you uh, back on the mound throwing to both of those guys uh, in the coming months here. Thanks so much for taking the time out today, and uh, enjoy the Baseball Canada Awards Banquet and Fundraiser, and uh, say hi to Shy if you, if you run into him tomorrow, man. 
Will do. I'm sure I will at the press conference. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Yeah, looking forward to it, Mike. Take care. All right. See you. Bye. That was Mike Soroka, uh, Atlanta Braves pitcher. Hopefully we get to see him back on the mound this year. Uh, Also back, the Toronto Boat Show. It's returning to Entercare Center for its 65th anniversary, January 20th to the 29th. And we're giving away tickets to the event and ballots for a chance to win their grand prize, which is a Princecraft fishing boat with a Mercury engine and trailer. We also have our own VIP prize, which includes dinner for two, a $100 shopping spree at the show, and a one-night stay at the Weston Harbor Castle. Just Just continue to listen for the code words in our show today up until January 16th. Then text that code word to 59590, and you'll be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is seminars, as in like you're attending a seminar, but plural. Not as fun a one to build around as the last two days. So uh, seminars is your code word. Text that to 590-590 for your chance to win. We'll have another code word on Monday. That'll be the last one. So be sure to tune in then as well. Curveball with the S there. Yes. Seminars. Seminars. If you if you send in seminar singular, I will just delete it from the... I don't go on the text line often. I will go in and make sure that everyone is being plural about it. Oh, you know what? Spelling matters. I know I know people are like, hey, in this day and age of text and quick communications, we, do, we don't care about grammar and spelling. It should matter. Speaking of spelling, Major League Baseball teams, uh, as of Sunday, can sign international free agents for this bonus period. Uh, Jays with about $5.3 million, give or take, uh, to spend in there. Emmanuel Bonilla, E-N-M, I believe it's still pronounced Emmanuel, but uh, there's the N in there instead of the M. Uh, Emmanuel Bonilla, are we expecting that to be, is that pretty much a, a done deal? We expect that to be announced. I know that's one that's been rumored for a while, and he's fourth on Baseball America's list of potential international free agents for this period. Yeah, young power-hitting outfielder. I mean, that is the expectation. Nothing in the in the free agent market in general is done until it's done. See Carlos Correa for that matter. Uh, and in the international free agent market, it is even more so not done until it's done. So we'll, we'll wait for that to, to officially get locked down on, on Sunday. But, you know, this is, this is the not very flashy area. And this whole market could have been different had the owners and players managed to agree to an international draft, which was on the table, but the sides didn't get there and decided to punt it for towards the next CBA. But it's an area of opportunity for the Blue Jays because in the draft, you have to finish near the bottom of the standings to get anywhere near the top pick. In the international free agent market, you just have to have boots on the ground to get to the player first. And they've had some pretty good success, not only this front office, but the front office prior. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is example number one. But Gabriel Alejandro Moreno. Kirk, Alejandro Kirk. You know, that it's, it's a way to really speed up, or I guess rather than speed up, maintain a competitive window once you're in it. Because, again, when you're drafting in the 20 to 30 range, most of the time, you know, unless you happen on um, Mike Trout in a given year, uh, the most of the time you're not getting at the elite talent. And the elite talent is usually in picks one to five. So if you want to get the impact players, you know, this is a way to get young impact players into your farm system. And, you know, we were talking about the Blue Jays competitive window earlier. You know, you, if they keep on having success in the international market, 
it's a way for them to find you know the next generation of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bobachets, or the next generation of Gabriel Moreno. So Emmanuel Benia could be flipped for Dalton Varsho in a couple of years, or a Dalton Varsho type. Uh, let's take a break. We'll continue to keep an eye on that stuff and the arm stuff if anything comes in uh, by the buzzer of our show here. Uh, but when we come back. We'll tee up Leafs Bruins. It's not until tomorrow. None of the Toronto teams are playing tonight. Uh, But we got Andrew Raycroft coming on. Who better to tee up Leafs Bruins than him? That's next as Fan Drive Time continues on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Fan Drive Time. Happy Friday. Blake Murphy, Shai Davidi with you for one more segment. Andrew Holland behind the glass with some excellent music choices. This is, uh, although this one fits the, the grayness of lately, maybe a little too, a little too on the nose. Uh, Shy, I know you don't have a specific rooting interest in this weekend's NFL wildcard games. I, I know Bills, if push, push comes to shove, is there one game you're most looking forward to? Well, I, not, I don't want to say Bills now just because uh, the way you put that. Also, it's like a 14-point spread at this point. Like, yeah. That's supposed to be the least competitive game on paper. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not saying this to play to you, but Chargers-Jaguars yeah. seems super intriguing, right? Like that seems like one that could go either way where you think the Chargers should win that one, but there's enough there for the Jags to maybe sneak one out and – Create a little noise and create a little chaos? You'd hope so. They're only two-point dogs, and they're at home. Yeah. Old Duval County. It's funny um, being, like, one of the only Jaguars fans as the Jaguars are now, like, a relevant topic, and most people just know them as, like, the meme team because of the good place. Right. And right. Yeah, I mean, like, things like that. Um, that. That show is basically a frame of reference for most people on the Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars. You got it. Say that three times quick. Jacksonville Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I've had years of talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, No, but like people having questions about them, like what the heck does Duval mean? It's just like, it's just the county they play in. It's, uh, I don't know. Anyway, this is is part of the weirdness of being a Canadian who chooses an NFL team randomly. I'm curious what our next guest does. It's Andrew Raycroft of... Nesson, uh, Andrew, I know that you are a Canadian, but you've been in the Boston area long enough. Let's be honest. You're, you're not playing to a Boston crowd here. Have you been absorbed as a Pats fan? Do you have any NFL rooting interest this weekend? No, I'm Bill's Mafia, 100%. Okay. So it's been a long 20 years for me suffering. My wife's actually from Foxborough, and, and I've stung, you know, hung tight with the Bills. So <laughs> I am reveling in this. When I'm on the radio, I let everybody know I'm Bill's Mafia, and uh, it's not as appreciated now as it was 10 years ago. That's uh, that's brave in Boston. It is. It is. But uh, you have to, you know, you, you got to stick through the good and the bad. So so this is the good now, and uh, fortunately the Pats stink, so it's great. Well, the Boston's had so much good to talk about in sports over, you know, basically the last two decades, um, ever since kind of the, well, there were teams that were always good, but you know you have the Red Sox shake off the curse and be annoying and good for a long time. The Pat, the Pats having their uh, dynasty, the Bruins, of course, being near the top of the league, and now the Celtics right back up there. I, I think rotating one or two bad Boston teams 
into the mix like the Pats were this year or the Red Sox were this past year. I think that's entirely fine, Andrew. And with the Bruins being as dominant as they are, I'd imagine the Boston faithful could pretty quickly turn the page. Is that a fair reading of it? Yeah, I mean, they've been so spoiled here that, that it's harder than you think to turn the page. Uh, I mean, they were they were one game seven away from having all four championships in 2019. The Boston Bruins missed out with the Blues, but uh, yeah, they're they're very they're very happy with their Celtics and Bruins right now. And, and of course, as everyone who's listening watches hockey, rightly so, with the Bruins. So the Bruins, uh, I, I guess maybe some of this is just some magic going on at that arena because I, I know the story last night was the Bruins finally lose at home to the Seattle Kraken. Uh, the Celtics are seventeen and five at home as well um, with the Bruins. They've been so dominant and with the playoff format as it is, you know, I know there's half a season left, but it kind of feels like the seeding is, is that is wrapped up at least as far as they're concerned. Um, if you are the Bruins, what buttons are you pushing to make sure that, you know, malaise doesn't set in or, or, you know, even just that kind of lethargy of, hey, you're so dominant in the early part of the season. You've got a peak in April, not right now. How do you manage that if you're the Bruins the rest of the way? Well, they're certainly aware of it. And complacency has been a word they've been using already for, for almost a month and a half. And, uh, you know, to your point, neither team lost in the Garden all of November. I think there were 17 <laughs> home games played, and, and they went 17-0 and 0 in November at the Garden between the two of them. So it's a veteran team. Listen, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Nick Foligno, David Pasternak, David Krejci, these guys have all gone on long playoff runs. They're, they, these guys are very aware that they've done nothing and, and they will not have accomplished anything until April, May, June comes along. And they're leaning into it, to be quite honest. They've talked a lot about it in the last few weeks where they're they're focusing on the process. They're focusing on when it matters in April and trying to get better and building to that. So I think at times through NHL history, we've seen it often where that president's trophy, that team runs away with it, and then they get smoked in the first round. And of course, Tampa Bay is the most recent example of that in, in 2019, but this team's older, they're veteran. They get it. I, I it's just not going to set in. They're, they're going to, have their peaks and valleys the second half just because it is hard to get up for it. You saw it the other night with them. It was Seattle in town. They, you know, they just didn't have it. That's going to happen over the second half, but I think they're very well aware of what it means to their legacies and what kind of players they are come April and May. Speaking of legacies, you mentioned Patrice Bergeron and talking about the veteran presence on that team, uh, 37 years old, just past the 1000 point marker. I know you and him go back to that 2003, 2004 season. Um, and, and this is a guy who legacy is unassailable, but a, another ring wouldn't hurt. When you look at Patrice Bergeron and what he's meant to the Bruins team for almost 20 years now, where does he stack up in terms of all-time Bruins? Because I think here in Canada, he's very, very well appreciated because he's one of the best national team players that we've seen suit up. Uh, I'd have to imagine even with a team with as rich a history as Boston, he's got to be right near the top for them as well. No question. Yeah, he, he's he's on the Mount Rushmore. Obviously, number four is, <laughs> is untouchable, I would say. Uh, and then 77 and 8, and then probably 37. And, and I think... Another cup 
puts Patrice on another level in that group, but, but he's top four. And, and I think that will only history will only serve him better as we get away from it. But he's, uh, he's a, he's a great person. He's a great hockey player and he's done things the right way his entire career, both on and off the ice. So he is, he is a God here. He is, he is what every Bruins fan looks up to and has set the culture here for, not just uh, you know almost two generations behind us, but but for the next couple generations ahead of us. Andrew, you know, over the summer there was that conversation and speculation that Bergeron might actually retire, and that it might have been it, and that might have been maybe a a bit of a tipping point for for that Bruins team in terms of the direction that it went, and and obviously he's come back and continued to perform, and the Bruins are having the season that they're having. You know, just. Is there – how different would this have played out, you think, if, if he wasn't there? Like, could they have still been a good team? Do you think most of these things would have ended up happening? Or would this team be in a drastically different spot had he walked away? Well, I think – so, yes and no. And it, and it truly is a yes and no. I'm not really sitting on the fence on that. I think, yes. They wouldn't be this good if they didn't have Bergeron and Krejci. You're, you, I mean, those two guys are Patrice's first ballot Hall of Famer. David Krejci is going to be play his 1,000th Bruin game on Monday. Uh, knock on wood, injury, not, no injuries coming down the pipe. And those two guys dictate play. They're so smart. They're so good. However, on the other side of it, this team isn't wasn't tanking for Bedard this year had those two guys not come back. They have Hampus Lindholm, they have Charlie McAvoy, they have Linus Allmark, all on contracts. Linus is three more two more years. The other two guys, the defensemen, are eight more years. David Pasternak, Taylor Hall. So there's a lot of assets here that they still would have been competing. Now they certainly would not have only had five losses through half the season have Patrice not come back. And listen, that's going to be, I, I suppose if they win the cup, he'll go off into the sunset, but I think he's still year to year. And it's going to be one of those situations where it's like, it's like the Matt Sundin, you know, back in, back in my day in Toronto, where it's all right, he's going to play and we'll see what he's going to keep signing one year deals at the end of it, depending on how he feels. Man, only five regulation losses this deep into the season. It's wild, and it's not... I I made the point earlier, Leafs and Bruins have three games left against each other, including tomorrow night. Even if the Leafs took all three in regulation, that only closes the gap to three points, and Boston would have a couple games in hand to spread that gap further. Um, That takes me to tomorrow night's game, and I know that Leaf fans get up for the Boston games, and we've had those couple of good playoff series. Um, Where is that and I'll put rivalry in air quotes here because, you know, the old Mad Men meme of it's a, it's only really a rivalry if both sides think it's a rivalry. Uh, the other team not thinking about you at all doesn't <laughs> means it's not a rivalry. But uh, is this something that Bruins, the Bruins still get up for, or at least Bruins fans get up for when, when the Leafs are in town? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think at, at this point in the season for the Bruins, they're looking for it. They're looking for games like this. There was I wasn't at the rink today. I talked to a few of the guys. There was more of a buzz down at the rink after losing last night and the Leafs coming to town. And, and Hockey Night in Canada is obviously a huge deal for all the Canadian guys especially, but everyone else. Everyone knows everyone's watching, and, and the Leafs come to town. And it, it, So, yes, it is a, a big deal. It might still be a little big brother, little brother situation, but, but there's no question that 
the the Bruins players, the the leadership crew will have everyone's attention tomorrow night. And, and it, I mean, everyone's it, there is a lot of excitement for a regular season game between two teams who are locked in playoff spots. This will be a really good one tomorrow night, no question. Andrew, earlier in the show, Blake and I were debating where the Maple Leafs go with their goalie situation, and they've got a, a stretch of schedule coming up where they could ride one of their guys and maybe make a bit of a decision on Murray and Samsonov. And you know, I was looking at Matt Murray's recent workload, and you know, it's been a while since he's carried a heavy load of games. And looking back at your career, two thousand and five, oh six, you you know, you played thirty games with the Bruins, and he came over to the Leafs, and. The next year, you played 72 games. That's a huge jump. I'm wondering just that increase in the number of games played, the extra minutes logged, like, how did that impact you over the course of that season? Did you find yourself having to fight some fatigue? Did you find yourself maybe just grinding a little bit because you'd essentially gone from sprint to marathon? Oh, it was it was a grind, no question. And And then again, you know, 16 years ago, I guess it is now 15, something like that. Um, there's no, there's no science, no sleep science, no load management. So I played those 72. I didn't miss practice. I, I, I went to every pregame skate. There was no like rest back then. You, wow. you, you had to go out and do that. So, so yeah, it was, it was exhausting. It was a grind and uh, you, you couldn't pull it off nowadays the way that the games played. And, and I mean, really couldn't pull it off back then. You just did it. Cause, that was the expectation. Uh, I with Matt Murray, I think you 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 don't have to make any decisions on the goaltending. You you play a guy who feels good for a few games. You play the other, but everyone's gonna down the stretch for these teams that are that are in the playoffs that are feeling good about their game. You can split guys. You're, you're going to get pretty close to a a half and half type starting split between goaltenders, and then come playoff time, you, you play the best guy, but. But even when Matt Murray won Stanley Cups, he was, he was splitting off games. So I think the the way the game is that that these top teams, other than Andre Vasilevsky, are, are going to be pretty close to a split at the end of the day. When it comes time for the playoffs, though, like at, at what point in the season, Andrew, does that room or the goalies need to have some idea who the number one is going to be when a playoff series starts. Obviously this is extremely early for that. And a lot of things are going to dictate that. Is there a point in the schedule though, at which you you'd want to have some certainty about that? Are you okay riding this game 82? No, I I think it's less of an issue now. I I just, I think the way you've just seen the last, again, uh, take Vassie out of the the question, the big cat out of the question. (laughs) Colorado used three goalies last year winning the Stanley Cup. The Pittsburghs in 17 and 18, uh, they've used two goalies. So I think, I don't think you need to cut and dry it. I think both guys, I would imagine, you know, if if the Leafs go on a run, you're going to see both of those guys play playoff games. That's the way I see it. If you go past one series, you're going to have spells where both guys can play. So I, I don't think you need to lock it in. I would I would guess Matt Murray is the game one starter almost no matter what. You know, if, they, if it stays close, you're going to go with the guy who has two rings. That's why they brought him here for those April games, and and you go from there. Do you when you look at the Leafs, the the defensive environment they have around those goalies? It, it was kind of the talk earlier in the season when they had defensemen in and out of the lineup, and they were going far down the depth chart. And the defensive system there seemed to hold up pretty well anyway. Um, is that has there been enough growth in your estimation with this team as a defensive unit to you know help Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov be the best versions of themselves? 
It, it seems from a, a very far away watching the games, it seems like the forwards have bought in. Because I, I, I don't think that it is a defenseman issue. It's a team defense issue. And I think that those the, the guys up front have, have realized that they can score a lot of goals and still help on the back end and still at times in games recognize the situation and make the right play to keep goals out of the net. It seems like they're maturing at that level and, and understand that that's the way that they're going to have success and that's the way that they're going to be looked at in the city and, and across Canada as, as Toronto Maple Leaf players by, by doing that. So I, I do see that the, the, the forward group especially is bought into thinking a little defensive mind in certain situations of the game. All right, Andrew, before we let you go and get on with your weekend, uh, Bills, Dolphins, Sunday at 1, you got a score prediction for us? Well, it's going to be – I think Buffalo hits the brakes halfway through the third quarter, let's say 35-14. All right, we'll, uh, we'll hold you to it, man. Thanks so much for taking the time out. Enjoy the games this weekend uh, on the ice and uh, on the field. Sounds great. You guys, too. Have a great night. Thanks, Andrew. As Andrew Raycroft of Nesson, uh, former Leafs goalie, former Bruins goalie, uh, guy who's turned into just an awesome analyst. Yeah, that's just, uh, I, uh, a lot of great insight there. You know, um, I like the I, I like the description of the Bruins still being a team that could have been competitive, but really were able to catapult forward with Bergeron and. And Krejci coming back, and they've got an interesting decision to make on Pasternak coming up. But it's it's amazing how long they've kept a core of good players, and they've turned over a lot of that roster and haven't had a major dip in a salary cap world. No, they really haven't. There was a, a two years back-to-back is the most that they have missed the playoffs uh, since the 60s. And it's only, it's happened sparingly. And when you talk about, you know, a Bergeron legacy or a Bergeron Hall of Fame case, which no one would debate anyway, um, no one with with a brain. Um, (laughs) But this is a guy who's played almost 200 playoff games because they're in, they've made it 13 times in his 18 seasons prior to this year. So um, I would actually like to hear someone try to make a case against Bergeron for the Hall of Fame. Like, (laughs) like how how comedic would that be? Yeah, uh, I don't like defense and a thousand points isn't enough in... (laughs) And gold medals at the Olympics. He never led the league in a statistical category. Okay, sure. He just had a billion Selkies and a Clancy and uh, a cup and has been one of the greatest face-off winners I mean, that's one. I, I don't think we have rich face-off data going back far enough, but he's got to be right up there with like yeah. Yannick Perot as one of the greatest uh, face-off winners of all time. It, it really helps your possession stats if you win like two-thirds of your draws. You start off with the puck all the time. Yeah, it's an important thing. Uh, all right. Let's do a little bit of uh, an extended last call here brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game, uh, and I say extended – one, because we have like three minutes here, but also we haven't talked a ton about these wildcard games today, Shai. So I'm going to give you a kind of rapid fire here. You don't have to go spreads. I'll mention the spreads, but just give me your winner. My if that's winner. okay with you. Okay. So yeah, we, got, sure. we got the 49ers as nine and a half point favorites uh, with 
the Seattle Sea. I almost said the Mariners. This is too much spending too much time with the baseball guy. The influence. The, the Seahawks are in San Francisco. Uh, the Niners are nine and a half point favorites. So I'm going to caveat this with uh, so that no one takes anything that I say. And no, this is this is for fun. Definitely this is for not, fun. Yeah, yeah. These aren't pick recommendations. These so, are just me putting you on the yeah, spot. Yeah, San Francisco 49ers. I mean, seems about as no brainer as there is in this slate of games. Yeah, uh, that and Bills minus thirteen and a half with the Dolphins coming in. Yes. You riding with the Bills? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a turncoat that would be at the end of your, your couple weeks on the show with us. Yeah, you know, Buffalo's great. Uh, I'm going for the Dolphins. All right. Uh, Jags no. plus two hosting the Chargers. You know what, Blake? You, uh, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll say Jags just because we've had a great week together. And, you know, I really want to see you happy at the end of this. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I will say, because this is Last Call brought to you by Bet Rivers, the one thing that I'm looking at, and I, again, not a recommendation, just something I'm looking at for fun, uh, Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence both to have two touchdown passes or more, plus 180, if you pair them together. That's, that's not bad. I, I can see that one being a – I know the over-under is in sky high, but – See that one being a pass-happy game. Maybe I'm just selling myself on the quarterback battle there. Uh, Giants at Minnesota. The the Vikings are three-point favorites there, Shai. I've been spending too much time around a rash. You're, you're going Vikings. Uh, you believe in Kirk Cousins. No, I, 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 a rash doesn't believe in the Vikings. Why should I believe in the Vikings? Right? I haven't talked to him about it. So. <laughs> um, at least uh, judging by the comments. Uh, you know, the Giants seem really interesting as a team, and I don't know. People keep poking holes in the Vikings. So let's say Giants. Okay. My my issue with that one is Justin Jefferson is by far the best player in that game. And in a game that I can't feel out, I'm just going to ride with it. I know it's not basketball, but I'm going to ride with the best player. Maybe the best wide receiver we've ever seen when, when it's all said and done. Uh, Ravens at Bengals. Bengals, big, big favorites because it doesn't sound like we're getting Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Well, you know, at the... An interesting matchup after they played just last week. And, you know, you never think that, you know, a team is going to beat somebody twice back-to-back weeks. But I, I, that gives me pause. But you think Cincinnati under these circumstances. And then the last game for Tom Brady as the Tampa Bay Buccaneer? Because they play the Cowboys? You know, I, I, as I mentioned earlier in the week, I was at this opener between the teams. And I don't know, that game scarred me about... Dallas's potential and obviously they've had a great season since but <sighs> Dallas all right uh that was last call brought to you by Bet Rivers it's a whole new game six wild card games this weekend Leafs and Raptors both in action on Saturday I'll be back Monday with Ben Ennis Shai Davidi thanks so much for filling in this weekend last man yeah it's been a blast thanks for having me I had a very good time as well uh that was Shai Davidi I'm Blake Murphy we will talk to you with the return of Ben Ennis on Monday Show Ali and Daniele Coming up next, uh, have a great weekend, everyone.